Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts. And hey, stay up to date on future episodes. This week on The Offering, oh, we've got a real can't-miss episode for you because look who's purging now. Everyone, it's The Purge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of The Offering. This week, we're covering everyone's favorite civic national holiday, which is The Purge, uh, a 2013 documentary about the shocking indictment of our country. Oh, wait, what's that? It wasn't a documentary? Well, it might as well should have been. not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Uh, This is a very interesting film series. A lot of times when we talk about horror films, there is quite a bit of social commentary thrown into the mix. Uh, George Romero single-handedly kind of started this whole thing with Night of the Living Dead. Uh, It really says a lot about race in America, says a lot about violence. It just, it speaks to so many people, and it also speaks volumes about our society as a whole. Uh, I think everybody's thought about it. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're telling me you haven't thought about just murdering someone, and what if you got away with it? What if you got a free one? What if you had a a get out of jail card? And that's kind of the premise of 2013's The Purge. It is, I don't want to say this, but there's a part of society that is unhinged and wants to kill each other. And this movie kind of capitalizes on it. Um, The movie came out of nowhere. Uh, Jason Blum was one of the producers. This is, you know, before the inception of Blumhouse. And it's quite interesting. I really, I need to tell you this story because it will preface the rest of the episode. Now, the director's name is James DeMonico, and he had a bit of a famous road rage incident. And this is what caused the awakening and the genesis of this entire series, okay? James DeMonico and his wife, they were driving down a freeway when a drunk driver cut them off, nearly killing them. After both cars stopped, the other driver's lack of remorse enraged DeMonico enough to engage in a fist fight, which ended up beating the shit out of this guy, beat the fucking brakes off him. And you know what? You know, if I was in a car with my wife and you almost killed me and you were a drunk driver, I don't blame you. Police eventually had to get involved and uh, they had to pull DeMonico off of this guy. So it's pretty cool that we've got a director that will whoop someone's ass. I I always enjoy that. I I hate pretentious directors who won't throw down. It's very important that you're a violent person. After the incident was over, DeMonico's wife turned to him and commented how great it would be to have one free murder a year. Man, DeMonico, what kind of of woman did you marry? And does she have any sisters? Uh, He felt bad admitting this because she's normally a sweet woman. 
Yeah. Okay. So it's fine, James. You can tell us she's a sweet woman. I'm sure she is a sweet woman. That's a good question. What if you had a get out of jail free card? You could murder anybody you want, do whatever you want. And that is why this entire series of films and television shows works, because there is a part of us that would love to go out, commit heinous acts, and have no consequence for it. Um, it, it, It's insane. Now, when you use the framework of this series, you can tell a lot of different stories. You can go many different places with it. And it's very interesting how this whole series starts. Now, he was only able, James DeMonico, the director, uh, was only able to get like $2.7 million to make this movie, which now, you know, anything under $5 million is, is pretty much whatever. But they only had 19 days to shoot this movie. The entirety of The Purge was shot and done in less than a month, which is like the craziest thing. Um, basically, DeMonico was really good friends with Ethan, uh, Ethan Hawke and uh, James Blum and uh, basically says like, hey, look, um, we need to add a little bit of star power, a little bit of zest to this low budget movie. And as usual in Blum's productions, cast and crew work for scale and receive a percentage of the profits. And I think that's a really cool business model. Now, Ethan Hawke is an old friend of producer Jason Blum and director James DeMonico. He was happy to appear in The Purge. Uh, This low-budget movie needed some star power, needed something to sell it. And uh, Ethan Hawke is no slouch. You know, hey, if Ethan Hawke was my friend, I'd have him on this fucking podcast. You know, but uh, sorry, Jason Blum, not all of us are born with a silver spoon. Yeah, that's right. I said it. I'm kidding. I love you, Jason. Uh... (laughs) He was happy to appear in The Purge, uh, and they definitely needed it. And as per usual in Blum's productions, cast and crew work for scale and receive a percentage of the profits. And that, that that's a motivation, and I like that, and I appreciate that. That's love, and that's why we love Jason Blum. Hawk reportedly only received $3,000 up front, but due to the movie's worldwide success and the back-end profits, he has probably received more money for this film than any other in his career. Now, another interesting fun fact about The Purge is the film takes place in the year 2022, which is, like, fucking bizarre. And it's a pretty straightforward movie. I mean, if I had to uh, go over the synopsis quickly with you, which I will in order to set up the framework... A wealthy family is held hostage for harboring the target of a murderous syndicate during the Purge. The Purge is a 12-hour period in which any and all crime is legal. Now, there's some people who think the Purge is not a good idea, and and I don't blame you. I mean, as we get into the other sequels, and especially the TV show, we're able to go over that fact over whether this is right or wrong. Uh, it was parodied to great effect on the Rick and Morty episode. Uh, this, I think it was the season two episode. Um, look who's purging now. <laughs> it's just pretty much, you know, oh, hey, Morty, we're on a purge planet. Oh, I've seen this. They have different names for it, but it's all the same thing. It's everybody gets to be a bloodthirsty murderer. Now, what I think was interesting was this wealthy family is in this house. And again, because this movie was shot so cheaply, 
one of the things you do for a low-budget film is have a central location. So the central location in this is this wealthy suburb, and more so, it's a house. It's all taking place over 12 hours in a house. Uh, for a low-budget film, that's incredible. What I also respect about James DeMonaco is not only did he direct it, he wrote it. So he got to carry out his vision in a, in a very complete way. Now, what he didn't know was just how big this whole film was going to become. Because as stated before, it was a $2.7 million film. It comes out uh, June 2013, and it's opening weekend, it does $35 million. It ends up making $55 million, and then cumulative worldwide gross, $90 million. Uh, they knew from the first week of opening they were like, okay, there's there's going to be sequels. And, uh, I mean, how could it not? It's a great concept. The framework of The Purge is incredibly interesting. And the reason that I love this first film is that we're just dropped into this world, and this is what it is. We're not told why. We're not told to pontificate the politics of why this is occurring. We can do that in the later films and subsequent television series. There's been books. It's, it's incredible that this little movie really was the genesis of Jason Blum, Blumhouse Productions, which have become a juggernaut in the horror industry. Uh, everybody who was involved really, really, um, it works. And this film is incredibly captivating. The concept of legal crime is one of those things that when you wrap it around your brain, you're like, Jesus Christ, I wonder if I could really do this. Could I get away with it? And I think the question that The Purge asks us as the viewers is, well, if you could, would you? You know, uh, ostensibly the family in the first film. Um, some people have even called this movie a lesser version of pa The Panic Room. Uh, I, I love Panic Room. Panic Room's a great movie. Go back and watch that one. Uh, in some ways, yeah, it, it, it catapults off of our fears. Um, and some of us are desires for violence and, and, and bloodthirsty mayhem. But that's the question. What would you do? Uh, it, it's something that we have to ask ourselves. Um, you know, what, what would we do if put in a similar situation? Um, you know, and the question, too, is, is how does this affect the constraints of society? Now, in the world of The Purge, they do this and it kind of benefits society and it's looked upon as a necessary evil. Um, and I think that when you meet different characters in this universe, they all have a different slant about why it's right or wrong or, um, you know, why they're doing this or, or why they oppose it. But... If you look at it this way, and James DeMonaco is a smart dude. The Purge is held every year on March 21st. If you write out the date in numeric form, it's 03-21 or 321, which is also signifying a countdown. And that's brilliant. I mean, just little details like that, you can tell this guy really cared. DeMonico thought the story of the boyfriend attempting to kill the father very well uh, kind of meshed with the rest of the proceedings. Originally, it was, this is the original story. It was supposed to be the daughter 
trying to kill the father the entire time. So the way the original script went was that Ethan Hawke and his family are in there and it's basically about the real threat is coming from the inside, tearing them apart. And in some ways it's still that, but Universal was like, no way. They're like, we just, you know, we just don't, we don't see this. And it's crazy because you look at this at a $2.7 million movie you know, I think sometimes the less money you spend, you should be allowed a little bit more creative freedom. And that wasn't the case here. So the studio refuses to allow it. And DeMonico has to go back. He's got to rewrite this movie. And the way they rewrite it is that the boyfriend is the one who's kind of behind all this and wanting to kill the father. It was the only way that the studio was going to let it fly. And it's crazy. Because this movie ends up being, again, you know, one of these things where we did not suspect it. But suddenly we have five movies and two seasons and a bunch of books. So something with The Purge speaks to the general public. Now, the other point to be made is that the sequel to this film, The Purge Anarchy, because this was such a big hit, it was made in less than a year uh, after the success of the first film. And we find this a lot within sequels and franchises in the Saw franchise and Friday the 13th, uh, that these films are made very quickly to capitalize because the way it works is like, if you have the first movie and it's a success, well, it goes through its cycle. It comes out in theaters, then it comes to video, and it comes on like HBO or whatever. So your marketing is already there. It's fresh in people's minds. And now it's like, oh, well, there's a new and exciting chapter for you to witness. And that's like, oh, well, hey. Um, now, the second movie is a little bit different. Um, they give them, oh, wow, this is incredible. They gave them $9 million. So that's three times the budget. Uh, a lot of what DeMonica was talking about was he had had in his mind um, a different story that he had wanted to put into the first movie um, with a character that would be kind of like a, a Clint Eastwood in the outlaw Josie Wales, kind of a Shades of Grey character who was, um, I don't know, like a vigilante, like Casey Jones or Paul Kersey from the Death Wish films. Now... He said, you know what, I'm going to save that for a sequel. And he did, because in less than a year later, he was able to take uh, Queen's native, Frank Grillo, to great success uh, in The Purge Anarchy, which is, I remember seeing that in theaters, and it kind of reminded me, it, it had that vibe of like a James Glickenhaus 1980s revenge thriller, where you... I think in the 80s, vigilantes were so popular. So uh, the introduction of the Frank Grillo character um, kind of gives us our own Frank Castle or our own Punisher, who's, who's now, he's kind of opposed to the purge and doesn't really like it. So he's not going to stand idly by and allow it to happen. He's out there during those 12 hours trying to help people and save people who are, are just trapped. Because what happens is we learn that the purge is more uh, kind of about social hierarchy and also about class. You know, it's about class. 
it's I, I, there was a scene, you know, in the Purge Anarchy where people are like, hey, look, I, I want to get out early tonight out of my shitty job so I can go home and lock myself in and hunker down. And unfortunately, you know, the wealthy people like we see in the first movie, they can just they go home, they lock everything up and that's it. They live in a gated community and they think that they're safe. I think that's why the first film works is because that is a lot of the class warfare and the status quo in this country is we think that we live in a gated community and we live in a place where the other people believe what we believe. They might be the same skin color as us. They might uh, be the same religion as us. And we feel that insulating ourselves in a community like this makes us safe. And I think what DeMonica was trying to say was that the real evil was coming from within, you know, and I kind of like that angle that he had with the daughter, but I get it. He had to change it. You know, it, it also cinematically as a movie movie that's made to make money, probably not the best way to go about it, but it works. I mean, obviously it worked well enough for them to make a sequel. Now, this sequel ends up doing really well. And the turnaround time is incredible because the first movie came out. Um, I think, you know, in 2013, in spring, this next movie came out in July of, of uh, 2014, which is like super quick. Now, it cost $9 million to make, but it made $100 million, almost $120 million worldwide. So obviously, the rule there is, you know, you buy low and sell high. And <laughs> I don't blame them. I really don't blame them, but I think the reason that um, Frank Grillo's character, Sergeant, works in this film is because it expands the concept of this universe. No longer are we bound to this house. Now we're out in the streets. We're seeing what's really going down and how it's starting to affect everybody, you know, not just a rich family. And, uh, this film takes place a year later. It's in 2023. Um, I don't know. I, 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 some people are. And you know what? This is just my opinion. I don't want to upset anybody. I like the purge anarchy way more than I like the first movie. The first movie I've gone back, I've watched it once and I was like, eh. but I feel like anarchy kind of delivers a little bit more on the promise of this premise. And that is why the whole Purge series works, because you're able to take this very interesting concept of free murder and you're able to say, like, well, we can drop this concept into many different storylines. And I think that the character, uh, Sergeant, is very interesting because he's somebody who doesn't agree with the Purge and rather than just hiding he goes out there and he tries to help people. Um, that's kind of a really cool concept. And I think that you can ultimately keep applying those concepts to, um, to different, uh, you, you can kind of drop the purge because here's the interesting part. You take the purge, you can do it in the wealthy suburb, but you can also do it down South. You can do it in the hood you can do it wherever you want. Um, I think it would be interesting, too, to see what other countries think about The Purge. Like, I don't know if they've really ever explained that, but The Purge is really a United States thing. And obviously, because of all the problems with violence that we have in this country, uh, yeah, it's, it 
pretty much, <laughs> I mean, hell, there might be some people who watch this around the globe and might be like, hey, is the purge real? Because sometimes it feels like it. Um, it it's, it's one of these movies that um, not necessarily a character, because when you, you look at it, and they consider this to be a horror movie, but I don't, I don't know if it's really a horror movie as much as it's horror, science fiction, and drama. Because a lot of this is kind of a litmus test. It's like, well, if you were allowed to, um, would you? I, I think that's that's the question. And there's a lot of kids out there, you know, young people who are nihilistic, and they say, eh, maybe you know, like it becomes a rite of passage. Well, Johnny, if you're going to go out and be a man, you got to go out during the purge and murder some people. You know that that might be a, a good thing. Um, the second film has a huge body count. I mean, we went from seeing less than 10 people be murdered and the body count of the purge anarchy is like 65. So that's a big difference. Now, ostensibly the reason that I like anarchy so much is because it's more of an action movie and we're not just trapped in a house with this family. We have this character of Sergeant and he's able to go out there and fight back. And I think that's where the film starts to take a bit of a turn. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. Got a question or a story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. There was this huge trend of home invasion movies. We had The Strangers, um, You're Next. We had a bunch of movies that were very much in the vein of like, oh no, what if people came to our home? And the reason that works is because it's cheap, it's effective, and it works. And I think that there were a lot of people, upper middle class people, people who are wealthy, and they're in their ivory tower. You know, this is they're in their ivory tower and they are not paying any mind to what's going on in the world because they have their money, they have their wealth and they're able to just lock themselves away from this other world. They don't see what's going on at a street level. And it's funny because um, not really one of his better films, but George Romero uh, used that to great effect in Land of the Dead, where everybody's living, um, you know, in this big high rise in this mall. And there's, there's, still, there's still class warfare. There's still classism. Now, they took, they took a year off. Took a year off. And um, DeMonico comes back. And, and wouldn't you know it, he says, well, we're going through a lot of different things as far as politics in this country at this point. So in 2016, we get the purge election year. Um, and it's very interesting because... One of the big things with the imaging is that they use this uh, kind of demonic looking Statue of Liberty um, face mask. And I think that the purge became this weird, this weird subgenre of horror unto itself because it's kind of faceless and nameless. You know, um, if you're out there murdering people for fun, yeah, you can have a cool pig mask or whatever, but it, it almost, it has like its own vibe. Like the Mad Max films have like this kind of weird 
steampunk kind of thing happening. Whereas the Purge films, it's kind of like this, well, it's murder by a bunch of people from Urban Outfitters. <laughs> you know, it, it's a weird thing. So the reason I, and this is the other thing, the Purge election year, the reason I like this film is we get uh, Grillo's character back. So it, it kind of took a very interesting turn with the narrative that uh, everybody really, they even said it was like one of those things like Vin Diesel and Pitch Black, where it was like, Grillo was the breakout star of uh, the Purge Anarchy. And now he, he's doing all these movies. Uh, he's become, Jesus Christ, he's been in everything. You know, he's in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. He's gone on to have a great career. Um, but now in this third film, he is he's the head of security for a senator. And it's basically this senator is trying to abolish the purge and Charlie Roan is a presidential candidate who is targeted for death on purge night due to her vow to eliminate the purge. And obviously you've got, um, former police Sergeant Grillo. He's, he's, uh, he's protecting her. And that's kind of an interesting thing because now we saw the first movie was a home invasion movie. The second movie kind of turns into a vigilante movie. And now we're taking that same vigilante character and election year is very much so more an action film. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got the horror elements, but you also, it starts to flesh out the world in a way that we learn that there's a lot of different people that stand on different sides of fences with the purge. And there's a part of America, you know, we start dealing with racism and things of that nature. There's a part of America that likes the purge and they think the purge is a necessary evil and it must happen. But there's other people that uh, think, hey, this purge thing, it's, this, is, this is bad. It's bringing out the worst in humanity. We're not purging anything. We're just, we're just giving into our lesser temptations in order to keep propagating violence. And, and that's really it. No, nobody really learns anything from it. Now, the second film came out in July. It was like the middle of July. But because now we're dealing with election year, we start taking on the iconography of things like George Washington. And, you know, obviously is the aforementioned Statue of Liberty. So this becomes now a Fourth of July movie because they're trying to gun for that 4th of July opening weekend. And it's funny how in 1996, we had Will Smith saving everyone from aliens. And now in July 2016, we have Frank Grillo trying to save everyone from themselves. And if you look at a blockbuster like Independence Day, which, God, that movie cost over $120 million, and you have these movies now, I just I have to look it up. Jesus the purge election year only cost $10 million to make and it's cumulative worldwide gross was $120 million. Now people always say, Oh, these movies are stupid. Why do they keep making them? Well, I just told you why they keep making them because you put in 10, if you put in $10 million and you got out $120 million, wouldn't you keep making them? This is what I always say, you know, look, uh, artistic integrity is one thing and once you sell your intellectual property to a major studio like a Universal, they are going to make sequels because even if they make half of their money back, they still came out on top. Uh, the third movie is kind of eh. 
like it works and largely why it works is again because of Frank Grillo. But it does bring the series to a conclusion because ultimately um, he's able to save the day and save the presidential uh, candidate and they abolish the purge. They end it. So <laughs> you would think to yourself, well, that was a satisfying conclusion. And hey, look, DeMonico is able to write and direct. He made these movies. They made a ton of money. But you know, just as well as I know, the bad guy, which is us, because that's really what these Purge movies do is they're holding up a mirror to society. And we have to look honestly at ourselves and say, hey, is this right? Is this wrong? They took a year off. Uh, in 2018, we get the first Purge. Now, the first Purge is a very interesting movie because uh, James DeMonico wrote this one, but we have a different director. Uh, I believe the man's name was Gerard McMurray. And this is a completely different movie uh, that shows us the genesis of The Purge. Where, where exactly did this start? Why did it start? It was released on the 4th of July in 2018. So now we're starting to realize, hey, wait a second. We're getting these movies on the 4th of July. They're in the consciousness. This is something we can all identify with. We spent a couple of more bucks on this one. This one, uh, the first Purge, cost $13 million dollars. And it had a cumulative worldwide gross of $140 million. So some people might not be a, might not like the, po the Purge and be opposed to it, but they're sure as hell going to the movie theaters and going to see it. Now, in the first Purge, um, America's third political party, the new founding fathers of America, comes to power. And essentially, these are the people that Charlie Roan was against in the third film. And now it's time for another election year and things have changed. Uh, this movie purports to be a prequel to show how this kind of all started. And it starts with these new founding fathers of America. They're the ones who there's this was like Democrats, Republicans. And now the new founding fathers are kind of these extremist people who believe that the purge is what is merited by society, that this is the logical conclusion for them to end gun violence, for them to end all of this murder in this country and kind of get it under control. So the first purge is about an experiment. And the experiment is no laws for 12 hours on Staten Island. And it's a pretty cool movie because they shut everything down and there's no way out. And I like the fact um, that no one has to stay on the island, okay? The Founding Fathers, they basically say, if you want to stay on Staten Island, you get $5,000 to stay for the next 12 hours. And again, we're dealing with people who are not wealthy. They're poor people. They're not, they're not middle class. They're, they're living below the poverty line. And shit, if you told me, hey, Jerry, we're going to give you five grand to stay overnight and duke it out for 12 hours. You know what? I'm taking that five grand. I don't know what that says about me, but it says something. Now, you've got Marissa Tomei, um, who plays the architect in this. And you learn that it's very interesting that, believe it or not, it was a woman behind all of this and the execution of it. Now, we've got a bunch of different characters. You look at the juxtaposition between the first film, Wealthy Family in a House. Now, we're doing a prequel, 
And we're essentially looking at it as, hey, how are we going to get this purge thing out there? How are we going to make this work? Well, let's get a bunch of poor, disenfranchised people. Hopefully they make it and give them five grand each. And we'll see if the experiment works. Now, whether it worked or not, it gave us a bunch of new, interesting characters with a different point of view. Obviously much different from Ethan Hawke and his family in the situation of the first movie. So the, the first Purge is a very interesting movie in that, A, it's a prequel, but it kind of goes deeper into the mythos of how did this all happen? I mean, look, it's a gigantic success and there, it speaks volumes about what we put, uh, speaks volumes about what do Americans put first and foremost in their belief system. And I think there's a part of us, each one of us, there's a, a very dark side of us. Like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I fantasize about murdering people. I think we all have in the heat of the moment. I mean, you know, somebody cuts you off. You wouldn't want to pull up to the car next to you and just beat the shit out of them. I mean, hey, I, I've thought about that myself. I've, I've had people. It's crazy because living through the pandemic and whatnot, uh, living through the previous election that we just did, we really got to see the true colors of people. And to be honest with you, once we put the mirror up to ourselves, not even in this universe as, as American citizens, it's pretty scary and it's pretty ugly. But with the amount of money that this movie and film series has made, there is basically no end in sight. The USA Network says, hey, you know what? This whole thing is doing pretty well. Let's do a TV show. So <laughs> wouldn't you know it, we got The Purge, the television show. Um, this lasts two seasons, and it's set in an altered United States, several unrelated people. These are not characters from the previous films, and how they will go and survive a night where all crime is legal. Um, yeah, so now at this point, you know, DeMonico is not as hands-on. Uh, he's the creator, obviously, but they bring in all these different characters, and that's pretty interesting. But it only lasted uh, two seasons. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, even, I didn't even know about this. Um, in 2017, there was a, a short horror film uh, that was released. It was called The Purge 2024. The final hours of the annual purge play out as a group of misfits circle around their white collar target. Oh, excuse me, their white collar target. Unexpectedly, he puts up a fight. Now, this was a short, apparently, that they had created uh, in order to garner interest in the television series. And you know what? It works. And canonically, it's in there. Uh, you know, it 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 was released in November of 2017. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the question is, is after everything that we've gone through, where do we go with this film series? Uh, how far can it go? Because we've put the mirror up to ourselves and do we like what we see? Well, as society moves and changes, again, uh, the monsters are no longer ghouls and goblins but they're us. We're the monsters. We're the ones that are the greatest threat to ourselves. Uh, last year, 
In 2020, obviously, the theaters were closed to the pandemic. We were supposed to get the forever purge, which uh, (laughs) you have a pandemic and a crazy election that divided almost the entire country. Yeah, it kind of does feel like the forever purge. It feels like we we were living in it. Well, fortunately, this year we're finally getting it, and it will be released on July 2nd, 2021. And uh, this one as follows, because, again, I haven't seen it. it. It's just coming out now. All the rules are broken as a sect of lawless marauders decides that the annual purge does not stop at daybreak and should never end. So now we've got these people who are a crazy offshoot of the original new founding fathers. And these guys are saying, hey, the purge is great. And guess what? The purge will continue. And it's going to never stop, and we're just going to keep doing it, and we'll round up. We will not be held accountable. And this is kind of echoing the sentiments of what happened with the 2020 election. You had a lot of people that kind of veered off. You had QAnon and all these people who were believing in all these conspiracies. And you had a president who was not willing to tell them no. He basically was not willing to confirm it, but he said, you know, it is what it is. He turned a blind eye to a lot of these extremists. And I think that the purge is really more or less just a a offshoot of what's happening because it's 2021 and we're still purging. We're (laughs) apparently we're not done. I mean, I'm hoping as a film fan, I'm hoping this is kind of the end of the series. Uh, I know that this film deals a lot with the race issue. This one, I mean, the first purge did. They, they all kind of do. The first purge primarily, yes, because it's, it's disenfranchised people who are living in poverty. And you give them five grand. Yeah, okay. But with this, it's kind of like you've got a bunch of people that are, they're, they're you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to dance around this, but it's an offshoot of the Republican Party where you have people that are extreme right wing uh, people who just believe that everybody who doesn't look like them should die. You know, this is this is how I mean, you look at the rise of Nazis in Germany and it started as a political platform. And it's kind of one of those things when you feed people misinformation and you feed them hate, they end up becoming pretty disgusting creatures and destroying everything in their path. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, We have a different director, like just as the the first purge had a different director. Um, We have Everardo Gout, who has done a bunch of foreign horror. This is really kind of the big first foray into American films. But James DeMonico wrote this one. So apparently he has something to say. And I got to tell you, this this new Purge film has a pretty good cast. Got Josh Lucas and Will Patton. I love Will Patton. I'll watch anything that he's in. But it's very interesting. You know, it's a different it's a different type of film because the movie started again in a suburb, then we got into the city. And we stayed in the city. The genesis of it was in Staten Island. And now we're kind of going out into the country because a lot of the imagery that we're seeing in this is kind of evil, demented cowboys. And that's something new. That's that's definitely some different imagery. Now, these purge films ostensibly could go on forever. 
um, as long as they make money. It's just like anything else. They, it'll go on forever as long as it makes money. But there's, there's a reason why these films are so successful. Because I think there's a part of all of us that thinks, hey, maybe The Purge should be a real thing. Maybe this should be a, an idea that we should use. It's captivating. Because everybody has that part of them that says, oh, I'd like to go rob a bank. Oh, man, I would, if I could just rob a bank and you want to get away with it. It doesn't matter. You know, everybody wants to be Batman, but we realize that we're more close to being the Joker than, than Batman. And it's a lot easier to do the things that the Joker does than Batman does. Uh, it's a trip, man. This whole film series is so bizarre because I think culturally it's insane. Like, you know, back in the 70s, you had a lot of films. Um, you had like Soylent Green, which is about people eating people. Um, you had the Omega Man. You had a lot of movies that were these kind of one-offs that proposed this question of, well, what if? This is an entire film series. This is five films, books. Um, and I got to tell you, I frequent uh, theme park fan. I got to go to Halloween Horror Nights, I want to say in 2018, and they do these scare zones. Um, I'll, I'll post some of this stuff on social media if you want to see it, but the scare zones I thought were incredible because they thrust you into the world of the perch and you've got people getting executed in front of you. And there's a part of it that's like, Oh, Jesus, as we've seen things in the last year or so, like with the insurrection in the Capitol, it's like, well, how far is the purge from being real life? How how close are we? And that's the scary part. Um, maybe James DeMonico is just like, you know, the off kilter version of George Romero or any of those guys that came before him. I always say Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven saw the future. Whether it's RoboCop or Starship Troopers, there's a lot of biting social commentary in those films. DeMonico is very smart. He is able to take this series and morph it and mold it to fit whatever he's trying to say. And that's why I think The Forever Purge is very interesting as a film because it's it was made in 2019, so before the insurrection everything and these right-wing extremists but it's displaying that, it's putting it on full view. And I think to myself, God, it must be detrimental at times for people in other countries to see these films and they think this is what the United States is. And they're not wrong. But, <laughs> but I think The Purge is like the worst case scenario. Um, as much as I say, like, it's hard to keep making these movies and things get played out over time, well, if you keep making them socially relevant, like DeMonico does, well, then it still has something to say. And I think that The Purge, I mean, the forever, <laughs> I think The Purge is going to be around for a long time. Um, because I feel like even if this new film brings a bookend to it, they're so cheap to make. The, you know, these movies, they, the, 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 <laughs> the biggest one was like $12 million to make. So they're cheap to make. You can always uh, make more. But I think that with this film, we're going to kind of put it to rest. And I, I don't see why in five, ten years, why you couldn't do another Purge film. Because it's a very interesting concept. And it speaks to the more, 
I want to say more of our base instincts, some of the, the worst parts of being human. Um, and part of that is evil. It's straight up evil. And that's what the purge represents. Um, are you going to hide in your house? Are you going to go out and kill people? Or are you going to be like Frank Grillo's character and try and save people? Uh, I, I think all of us in society find ourselves in that spot. What are you going to do? Are you going to be proactive and solve the problem? Are you going to be the problem? Or are you just going to hide your head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist? So yes, the purge, um, Jesus, now it's 2021. Woo. Film series has been around for eight years and they've been able to crank out five films and two seasons of a TV show. That speaks volumes. So whether you like it, whether you love it, whether you hate it, The Purge is very much a part of our um, society now. It is something that people identify with in some way because they're going to see these films. These films make a lot of money. So whether it's right or wrong is not the question. The question is, is what do you think? And, and you can find me. I'm on social media at Jerry Hari. You can find I'm on all of them. You know, whatever. Tinder. Uh, uh, I can't think of anyone. <laughs> X hamster. Uh, you can find me on LimeWire. All the good ones. But uh, yeah, tell me what you think. Because I'm curious. I think the purge... Again, I'm a fan of Purge Anarchy and I'm a fan of Election Day because I, I kind of like that you're able to put more of, you have a good guy. You got a guy who's fighting for us. In the other films, it's kind of nameless, faceless people who become the heroes because they say, hey, you know what? This isn't cool. I'm not down with the Purge and we're going to rally against it. What do you think? I don't know. Well, my name is Jerry Hara. This has been The Offering, and uh, will you be celebrating the purge this year? Let me know. Don't forget, folks, don't go to sleep until you have something worth dreaming about. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. I'm very sorry. Produced by Pete Bune. If you have a question or a story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offer. I'm Tom. My partner Mike and I have been friends and co-workers for a long time. And at work, we're known for our daily water cooler conversations about TV shows and movies we are currently watching. Whether we're arguing over which Marvel TV show is the best or agreeing about which Netflix original movie is the worst, the pop culture conversation is always popping on Two Brothers at a Water Cooler. You can listen to Two Brothers at a Water Cooler on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe and share today.